Hello, and thanks for joining me for another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. The Dutch are of all Tasmania's migrant communities, the only one that is actually overrepresented as a percentage of Tasmania's population compared to the national average. Despite their numbers diminishing in recent decades, they still represent the sixth largest migrant group in Tasmania, and few groups have had such an influence on Tasmania's history and life. Indeed, Tasmania is named after a Dutchman. Beyond this, Tasmania has Dutch migrants to thank for successful agricultural products, such as onions, tulips, poppies and potatoes. And when I was young, I remember it was also common to hear Dutch spoken around stalls at Salamanca Market in Hobart. Now this is to set the scene for my guest in this episode, Nico, born in the Netherlands, and who is a relatively recent arrival to Tasmania, well, if you call 13 years recent, and is the Community Development Manager at the Multicultural Council of Tasmania. In this interview, we discuss how she initially came to Tasmania as a bit of a stowaway, and how her Dutch directness, while sometimes an obstacle, has proved to be beneficial in her current role. I hope this little summary has whet your appetite to learn a bit more about Nico and her Dutchness. What were you doing in the Netherlands, perhaps you could explain a bit more, before you came to Australia? So I studied social work and I always had a keen interest in how people shape their direct living environment. So I specialised in kind of co-design of public spaces. Mm-hmm. And as I was doing that, like it was, it was kind of like supporting residents but also businesses council and developers to have a conversation about what was important in their neighborhood and then translate that into design so i would often work together with landscape designers and urban designers and architects to create that and at a certain point the organization the not-for-profit i was working for offered to sponsor me to study architecture myself so i could do all the things, not just facilitate the conversation, but also draw up some of the designs. And I was quite interested in that. So when I started doing that, I actually realized quite early in the piece that I'm not a technical person. Like I really love like thinking conceptually, but I'm not such a big fan of like technical specific details. So when I did that for about a year and a half, I was like, oh, maybe it will live a little bit more for me when I'm studying. If I just go and build some things, mm-hmm. uh, maybe that's a good way for me to, to learn a little bit more. And like I said, I was specializing in building with natural materials. So I was like, well, why don't I just go and build some things? So I started building in uh, the south of India. So I was there for about a year. Um, there's the UNESCO uh, Institute for Earth Building there, so I had lots of fun building and I also learned how to attach roofs and things like that and mud floors was really, yeah, learned a lot there from, from local people and from and at the Institute. And then I came to Australia to learn more about permaculture. Uh, so oh, that's actually another aspect of what drew me to Tasmania, permaculture. But um, yeah, I actually found like I really enjoyed the building, but I I never ended up going back to architecture school because that just, yeah, wasn't, wasn't my jam. And I think like my job that I, that I had in the Netherlands, which is that kind of co-creating space together, that's very, very inherent in the Dutch culture because you always come across other people. It doesn't matter what you do. Like there's always other people that you're negotiating space with or time with. 
Um, whereas I find in, in Tassie, like, that job actually doesn't, doesn't really exist. Where did you grow up in the Netherlands? What, what kind of area? I grew up in Rotterdam. So it's the second city in the Netherlands. It's the second biggest port city as well, I think. Well, it used to be. I actually don't know if it still is right now. But it is a big port city, so it's very dynamic, very culturally diverse, very big and industrial. It's a lot more businessy, I suppose, than Amsterdam, for example. And yeah, businessy, but also, yeah, it's, um, the, the whole centre, well, a lot of the centre got bombed during the Second World War, mm-hmm. where Amsterdam, of course, is a beautiful historic centre that was all lost in, in Rotterdam in the, in the 1940s. So that prompted just this amazing modernization of that whole inner core of, of Rotterdam. And yeah, it's definitely fast moving. And so what was, what was uh, growing up there like for you? Yeah, really great. Um, there's, so on, on the fringes of the city, there's a lot of wetlands. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed that. And I was a big soccer player. So yeah, life was very much like going to trainings, playing soccer over the weekend. My dad played soccer as well. Mm-hmm. So the day that I wasn't playing, and my brother as well. So the day I wasn't playing, they were playing. Yeah, I just had a great time cycling through and from school, playing a bit of music. Yeah. And what was, what was sort of school like in Rotterdam? Like what kind of school did you go to? Yeah, um, I went to two different ones, uh, actually. Like I went to one called the Glopper, uh, which was like a public public school. And I was a bit I was a bit cheeky when I was growing up, so they expelled me after a few years. And then I went to a, a Christian school, which was which actually had a really great uh, after school program, which got me into something that I still love to do, which is like organizing events and kind of facilitating get get togethers. So yeah, I really really got into like yeah, just organizing out of out of school activities there. Mm-hmm. So the yeah, obviously those uh those skills you've been able to use later in life. Yeah, I ended up uh after high school having done so much organizing and being really encouraged by my high school teachers to continue doing that. I ended up studying social work and we have lots of different specializations in in the Netherlands. So I ended up doing community development focus as well as policy development, which has been really fun. This kind of translating what happens on the street into uh, kind of like systems systems change but always kind of like doing that grassroots organizing and did your was your family also from rotterdam yeah yeah born and raised my my parents they met when they were teenagers in one of the beach towns of of the netherlands i think my dad was 16 and my mom was 14 so very young and then they realized that they lived a couple of streets away from each other very different families though Um, but uh, yeah my dad came from a single mom, which was very, very uh, novel in that in that generation. Uh, and he was a musician, and he rode a motorbike uh, or a moped in the beginning, and then a motorbike. And my mom came from a very religious, all girls family. Yeah, very strict upbringing. So yeah, they weren't allowed to see each other, but they did anyway, and they persevered. Okay. So here I am. 
but yeah, they're they're still happily together. They're actually coming to Tassie uh, in February, and they're celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary in March when they're here. So oh, wow. I'm really looking forward to that. So who would you say, in, when you were young, who would you say had the biggest influence on you? Gosh, great question. My grandmother was actually really influential for me. She, um, she's my, my dad's mom. And uh, you know, she was the one who divorced when she was quite young, but had five kids to raise. And she actually yeah, raised kids and worked really hard for the first, yeah, until she was about 50. And then she decided, well, now it's time for me. And uh, she started horse riding and traveling. And when I grew up and when we started to get close um, was when she was really connecting with her Jewish heritage, which she hadn't given any attention to for, for the first years of her life. And she, at the time, was spending a lot of time in Israel volunteering there. And then the rest of the time she came back. Uh, to the Netherlands so I've always been really inspired by her uh, sense of freedom and exploring and she she rode horses uh, well until her in her 70s and in 2011 I had the opportunity no sorry a little bit earlier like early 2000s I had the opportunity to travel with her to Israel and to see her way of life there and um, yeah it's just really nice to to find that she actually created a global community through mm-hmm. all her travels and had actually friends all over the world. And I got to have a little bit of an insight in that. Yeah. Mm. So when you were sort of towards the end of your school years, like, did you have any idea or plan of what you were going to do in the future? I was really inspired by the kind of organizing and this idea that people can really shape the environment that they live in uh, by kind of stepping up and taking ownership of things. And, and so you mentioned you went and studied social work after, mm. you, f- after you finished. And, and was that also in Rotterdam? That was in Rotterdam, yeah. And um, yeah, it's like a four-year bachelor's degree, I guess. And um, yeah, I was at... Um, well, in the Netherlands, we don't have, we don't have the same system as in, in Australia, obviously. So like you'd have test tafe here and in uni, but in the Netherlands, you have something in between. So that's where I studied my social work degree. And there were lots of different social sciences in the same building. So it was, yeah, great, great time to organize lots of things. So much fun. Um, I organized like a series of dance parties because I was really into disco music at the time. So it was fun. And I did a a big film project where I asked uh, seven of my friends, who are you now and who are you going to be in 10 years from now? Mm-hmm. and make a little documentary film on that and then we ended up at some point even organizing a big festival in former Yugoslavia when that all fell apart just to kind of connect with people there and mm-hmm. understand what they were going through and bring some music and art out there great great time to experiment and what was usually your role in terms of the organization I really just enjoyed making it happen so yeah always full of ideas of what is possible but then I I don't know maybe it's like just a Dutch mentality in mm. general it's like getting things done uh, so yeah all the practical organizing so would you say you're you're a fairly practical minded person very much uh, like logistics it's 
my jam. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also love just thinking about kind of the bigger picture that we live in and how we as an individual or small group of people can actually put something out into the, the world that actually can have an effect on that system. With your, your studies, where, where were you thinking you would go with it? Well, I always thought as I was approaching the end of my studies, I was living in a building, like a student housing building, and um, there was a public park next to it. And at a certain moment, the city of Rotterdam was inviting local residents and people active in the area to come together to talk about the proposed changes to the park. And I uh, was really inspired by their approach, how they, how they did that. Because um, it was a very kind of open invitation to say like, what it, how would you like to use this public space? And um, the person that was facilitating that was a woman, like I actually think like from Sri Lanka, a migrant woman. And she, she had such a collaborative approach to that. And her role was called Opbouwwerker, which you translate from Dutch as the worker who builds society, which was like a new concept at the time. And I was just really inspired by that people could be employed to build society together with other people. And I was like, that's, that's what I want to do. And so where, where did, what did you do to progress that, I guess? Well, um, one of my professors pointed out that there was a European study that I could do after my local Rotterdam uh, study, which was called European Urban Cultures, uh, which was about how places are shaped culturally. And I was like, well, that sounds really interesting uh, to see if I can do that kind of on a, on a broader level. And the fun part of that study was also that it was only one year masters, uh, but it was you live what you learn so it was in four different European cities, mm -hmm. um, experiencing the urban culture while studying it. And there was a, a, an opportunity for me to progress that idea of like, how do you create change in society? And what do you, what do you, do you find that you learned from doing that? So much, so much. It, it gave me the opportunity to see, so I studied in Brussels, Amsterdam, Manchester, and Helsinki. And uh, I had the opportunity to do a comparative study on how neighborhoods are shaped mm -hmm. and what are the driving forces to change. So I got to compare, for example, the, the British system, which is very much driven by pub, uh, private investors, especially since, since Thatcherism, mm -hmm. this uh, recalibrated all the, the funding there. Then I got to see in Helsinki how the architect is very much the creator of the reality there and that art and design uh, have, have such a prime position uh, to really shape that environment there. And then in contrast to the Netherlands, which is very much uh, about conversation, negotiation, one would say maybe compromise, and mm -hmm. this idea that everyone can have input in shaping that. 
public space. So it was really interesting to kind of think about the systems that shape what we live day to day. Uh, how did you come to be in Tasmania? Yeah, gosh, that's a, that's a story and a half. I was taking a study break and um, was on a working holiday visa, traveling around. I hitchhiked around most of Australia. Actually, it was a lovely way to get around. And at a certain point, money was getting a bit low. And some friends were coming on the ferry to pick cherries here in Tassie. So I hid in the back of their van Okay. on the Spirit. Um, and that's how I came to be in Tasmania. So you're kind of a stowaway. I was a total stowaway, yeah. Very little money and uh, looking to make a bit of money picking cherries. And uh, how long did you plan to stay originally? I was just planning on picking cherries for a few weeks and, and do a few walks. And uh, did you know much about Tasmania before you came here? Just that it's now it's it's named after uh, a Dutchman, Abel Tasman. Um, so yeah, that that drew me a little bit. But also, I'd seen some images of some of the mountains here. So when I came, I, I was really keen to climb Cradle Mountain, which actually took me a lot of years to climb. Like I only just climbed it last August. So that'd be about 13 years after I first came to right. Tassie. <laughs> so what, so you just came to pick cherries, but how come you ended up staying so much longer? Well, as I was hitchhiking around, I got picked up by this lovely crew on Burnie Island, actually. And they invited me to come visit a community up in the north of Tassie, um, Lorena. And um, yeah, it's like in the middle of nowhere, but it's close to Cradle Mountain. And since I wanted to climb Cradle Mountain, I was like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll join. And uh, there at the end of the road in the middle of nowhere, I fell in love with the place, uh, but also with a person. Because just to explain, Lorena is sort of an off-grid kind of community, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's the next valley over from Cradle Mountain. It used to be like a quite a thriving agricultural community, but then the river got dammed, uh, so that flooded a large part of the valley. So that's where Lake Satana is now. And um, so all the farmers moved out and all the hippies moved in and yeah, started building their own off-grid houses. It's kind of like an unintentional community of, uh, yeah, people just self-organizing. And so how long were you there for? I was only there for a few months. The person I fell in love with, now my partner still, my life partner, was visiting his parents there. So they built a straw bill house there. So that's, that's where we met. And um, what happened after that? Like, where did you go from there? Well, since I was keen to climb uh, Cradle Mountain, we set off. Kind of three days after meeting each other, we set off to do just that. But the weather was really poor, uh, so we ended up diverging uh, a little bit and ended up walking kind of in lower country and then bumping into the overland track and ended up being a 12-day journey. Oh, wow. Which worked really well. So it was, was a good way to see how we work together just by throwing yeah. ourselves into a big big walk like that and it was a great way to for me to connect with the Tasmanian landscape mm -hmm. like really being out in the wild there and I was just also in awe uh, with my partner who's grown up in the Australian bush 
uh, it just requires certain skills to kind of, yeah, just be aware of snakes and just to be able to navigate when you get lost. So yeah, that was really, uh, really amazing to learn in that time as well. And after Lorena, where did you move to? Where did you live? Well, I had some work lined up in the desert, so just outside of Alice Springs. So when I was taking the year off in, in the Netherlands, I was at the Architecture Academy. So I was specializing to build in natural materials. Okay. I'd just done an internship in India, uh, building with earth. And I'd been hired to build with earth in the desert with Aboriginal women to create a, a kitchen there um, so that's what I set out to do and my partner went back to Brisbane and uh, I thought honestly that that was that we had a beautiful summer love affair and um, but then when a few months later I had to leave Australia because my visa was ending I threw up the idea to uh, try to travel as much over land uh, as possible and he was all up for that. So suddenly we booked tickets to go to India and from there we hitchhiked back to the Netherlands. Oh, wow. <laughs> hitchhiked. How, how was that? Yeah, very uh, volatile. We set off and then um, Osama bin Laden got shot. Oh, okay, in Afghanistan. Yeah, so then suddenly we couldn't go there. So we ended up having to fly a bit after all and go to the Ukraine. And then from there, uh, we hitchhiked into Turkey and then across. Quite a journey. It was a big journey. Again, great team building and great, great <laughs> adventure. So at what point did you decide to come to Australia and what, what sort of stimulated your interest? Well, when I was when I was studying uh, and needed a break, I thought permaculture would be an interesting addition to, you know, thinking about the earth and how you kind of live with natural systems, because I was so used to living in the city in such an urban environment, but also family. So on my dad's side, there are three girls, uh, so three cousins. And my oldest cousin, who was my soccer coach when I was growing up, so mm -hmm. she was very important in my life as, a, as an example, I guess. Um, she went to study abroad in Australia and then fell in love and had babies in Sydney in the Northern Beaches. And then my other cousin went to visit her a few years later and she got picked up as a, as a model and got flown all over Australia <laughs> doing photo shoots uh, and then fell in love, had babies south of Sydney and uh, I always wanted to visit. I have a friend who was living in Australia at the time uh, as well, which just went on a three-week trip and never came back. So I was like, well, I've got to, got to see what's keeping all mm. these women there. And my grandmother always lamented. She's like, well, there's no, no female grandkids, no, no granddaughters uh, left. Uh, in the Netherlands, they're all in Australia. Now that you've been here for quite a while, what would you say would be some of the biggest cultural differences between Australia and the Netherlands? Well, I guess what, what people 
tell me what, what they give me back is that I'm, I'm very direct, yeah. um, like call it blunt. Uh, like people praise that as well, but I find that sometimes really hard to understand what Australians mean. Like there's that kind of yeah, no, and in the Netherlands, like it's yes or no. <laughs> and um, I sometimes find it really hard to be as nuanced as Australians would like me to be. So sometimes I uh, self-censor a little bit, uh, but overall I'm just trying to be myself because it's nice to have a bit of diversity here. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard that mentioned by quite a few people, mostly European, almost all Europeans, and, and Dutch are known for being direct, but I think that's true of a lot of European cultures, whereas mm. here we're from the more English culture where you don't say exactly what you think and you expect people to read but people have got to read between the lines and there's kind of almost like a code you've got to understand and that can be yeah some people have found that a bit difficult i find it very confusing well what can you think of an example of something like that uh, nothing specifically comes to mind but i do know like now i work in a place with lots of different cultures so so my workplace now has you know, people from all over the world. And I find that there are certain cultures that I gel with a lot easier because it's much more like the Dutch. But even, you know, like not just the Northern European because England's really close to the Netherlands. It's only mm -hmm. like a waterway away. Uh, but surprisingly, I find Chinese, like there's Chinese people that I uh, jam really well with because we've got that directness as yeah. well. And sometimes it's easier to connects directly with with people that don't speak english as a native language as well because you don't need that nuance to be clear and the same with people from from latin backgrounds well not all latin american countries but yeah with some some latin backgrounds i find it's actually really easy to communicate because we we all share that you know appreciation of directness and clarity it can be quite confronting for People are not used to it to come across direct, very direct sort of style of communication. Yeah, definitely. I've really learned a lot about that since migrating. During my social work degree, we uh, learned a lot about cultural differences and individualistic and collectivistic culture and power differences. Like another big difference, I think, between the Netherlands and Australia is, is, is this sense of power difference. Like in the Netherlands, you're, you're considered a good student if you challenge what the teacher is saying. Whereas in some other cultures, the professor is always right. And as a student, you're there to learn. And I find like that translates in the workplace as well. You know, like the boss is always right and you do what you're told. Whereas in the Netherlands, like my, my last job that I was there, I was actually part of a, a self-organizing team and our whole organization was flat as can be mm -hmm. uh, and all the different teams didn't have managers but we'd rotate all the different roles yep. and report to the board that way and it was just one person's job you know one month and then it'd be uh, another person's job the next month but we'd all share that and that kind of non-hierarchical inclusive um, and yeah kind of like keeping you on your toes when it comes to authority. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's very Dutch, and I, I find that's very different in the Netherlands as well. Uh, sorry, in, in Tasmania.
now in my work with the Multicultural Council, we've been talking a lot about that, how when international students come to TASI, even though they work really well gaining knowledge and skills that are connected to their degree, it can be really hard to learn those soft skills, like around workplace culture and power relations and how are decisions being made and how do you effectively communicate in an intercultural team. And I found like I really had to learn that on the job when I first came to Tassie uh, to live. Uh, so after I, my partner and I, we ended up not living in the Netherlands or in Australia for a while just to see how we work together. So we lived in the US and Canada. Mm -hmm. traveled around a fair bit until he got homesick and wanted to come back to Australia and I was like well can't go any further north than Tasmania because it's real hot and, and busy everywhere so that's why we, we we set up here in Tassie and it's been good but in the beginning it was really hard to get my skills recognized my qualifications recognized to find community. So I ended up working on a farm, which was actually a really great way to get to know lots of people, lots of Australians, and just to learn a bit about workplace culture and different styles of communicating. Yeah, different group dynamics that are here in Australia compared to Netherlands, because it is very different. What would you say was the, the thing that's the most different? For me, definitely like the indirect communication, where I constantly couldn't understand what people were saying because they were actually not saying what they meant. Mm. And then when I would ask the question straight up, so is this what you mean? That was seen as very challenging. Oh, really? Or direct. And probably it was because I would have said that in a very unnuanced <laughs> way, very different than how I do that now. After seven years in Australia, uh, in Tas living in Tasmania, like I've, I've definitely nuanced the way that I ask questions. Though sometimes I still get the feedback that it's a bit too direct and that I should have softened that a little bit. I have to ask you about your current position and maybe you could just explain a little bit about it and how you, how you got it, how you got into this. Currently I work with the Multicultural Council of Tasmania. My role is called Multicultural Community Development Manager. And yeah, I've just had my four year anniversary. So I've been, yeah, I've been really enjoying working here. Our office is in Muna at the Multicultural Hub, which is a center for community cultural events and functions and meetings. Yeah, when I was first in Tassie, like I said, it was hard to get my qualifications and skills recognized. So it took me a little while to find my way into working in the community and uh, using all my social work knowledge and skills. But after a while, like I found I could read the landscape a little bit. And being a migrant myself, when a position opened uh, with the Multicultural Council, I just jumped on that. Like I'd been at the Multicultural Hub for a forum of sorts, uh, which was all about how to engage with different cultural communities. And that was really fascinating to me so yeah I just put my hand up for when a position came up and um, it was just I actually applied when I was visiting the Netherlands and I got invited for an interview the second day that I was back from the Netherlands and I think I got the job not because I was necessarily the best candidate 
Uh, but because I was available to start the next day. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm really grateful that they, they chose me uh, to do the job. And my job has changed a lot since the job that I originally applied for. So now I get to do lots of fun things. And I got to, yeah, like I said, learn a lot of um, practical knowledge and skills. And I'm really proud to say that I became a really good grant writer which is, I think, partly because of my Dutch cultural background, just being very direct. I find in, in that format, when you're talking about a project that you'd like to do, and you explain why it is worth a certain amount of dollars to invest in, it's actually really good to be really direct and succinct yeah. in explaining why that is. So yeah, I've been putting the Dutchness to good use. Apart from writing grants, what, what does what does your, your current position mainly consist of? Yeah, so we're doing policy and advocacy uh, and we're really focusing on capacity building. Um, so yeah, Multicultural Council is a membership-based organisation. So every state and territory in Australia has a council a multicultural council, or sometimes they call it an ethnic community council. And it's where people that were born overseas form an alliance that addresses issues that are relevant when you're not born here in Australia. Because issues do come up for, for all of us who migrate here uh, from a different place. And people that make policy don't always understand that because they don't have that yeah. same experience. So yeah, we, we just raise a lot of awareness. We propose policy ch changes. We raise issues on behalf of our membership. And we also build the capacity of our membership to do that themselves directly. So we just yesterday had a, a graduation of our first cohort of graduates from the Diverse Leadership Program. Uh, there are 25 emerging leaders or leaders in their own right who gained knowledge and skills to be in leadership positions in Tasmania, whether that's in the community or in their workplace. Because yeah, cultural diversity is like a great way to change how we think, you know, support innovation. I, I feel it's the spice of life that we're not all, all the same, but that we're all different. So if we can get more diversity in positions of, of power, I think Tasmania be for the better. And have you found during your time here that, say for example, the, the, the government has become more receptive to a, a more understanding of d cultural diversity? Yeah, I find it, it changes a little bit because the government seems to change and people, people change. But overall, like as Tasmanians, diversity is growing and we're you know, as migrants, like we're, we're just raising our voice and we're just becoming more present in all parts of Tasmanian society. Uh, there's definitely more uh, of a celebration of what that diversity brings to Tassie that goes beyond, you know, just good food and fun cultural, cultural celebrations. Yeah, there's also different ways of thinking in business, kind of challenging the status quo in a positive way. Yeah, and just kind of like the, the different ways in, in, in which we approach building community. Like I find uh, since I'm in Tasmania and that kind of grassroots action approach that I've always had because that's been shaped by my 
upbringing and and yeah living in the Netherlands for for many years I find applying that in Tassie has actually had a lot of yeah a lot of people jive with that and run with that So have you met many Dutch migrants in Tasmania and have you learned much about the Dutch community here? Yeah, a few. It's it's always such a joy to meet a Dutch person. Like and we might be from a very different part of the Netherlands, but it's always just so fun to just be able to speak my own language and yeah, and just connect. And what what would you say is the thing you're most you would celebrate most about your Dutchness? Oh definitely the directness and there's another there's a concept that i've i've been sharing a lot in my community it's this idea of uh, four pit it's called so it's very very typically dutch because it's the fun before the fun uh, so fun in dutch would translate as plezier whereas the fun before the fun is its own concept it's called four pet and it's when you're planning to do something that you're really looking forward to so it's kind of like positive anticipation something like that but there's not really a, an english word that translates it but it it does touch upon the how the dutch would lo- love to plan mm-hmm. they really love you know because it's it's a crowded place there's lots of things happening so you gotta set time and space apart for making the thing happen and then the process of creating that time and space there's a lot of fun in that yeah. very dutch